Welcome to the Must Love Self Podcast. My name is Carly Israel, and I'm your host. Every week, I get to interview a beautiful, courageous, strong woman who is willing to share her ugly and beautiful with the world. Must Love Self is a podcast, a movement, and a decision. It is about women lifting other women up, women holding each other women accountable, and women finding their way along this path. I hope you enjoy. La, 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 la. I am so excited to have my new friend who I'm about to get to know at a real level. We've got her from Melbourne, Australia. I've got Kate Boyle. Will you say hello to everybody? Hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about you background so we know who we're talking to. Sure. So I grew up as a dancer um, from a very young age. I was dancing, totally obsessed, wanted to grow up and be a dancer. Um, and in my teenage years, you know, dancing five or six times a week, um, had plans of going on to become professional. And unfortunately, at 16, I tore the meniscus in my knee, which for a dancer is pretty much career ending. So you know, I had gotten a scholarship to go full time, but, you know, the consensus was you'll be able to get jobs, but you'll never be, you know, principal. You'll never be the main role because there's just too much of a risk and you're already sort of damaged from a young age. So all so your dreams kind of dashed, right? Like that you built, you built up. How, <laughs> how old were you when you started dancing? Four. Basically 12 years of your life, which I'm sure wasn't just your life, your family dedicated right money time all like you gave yeah. up so much because any no, sort no, of exactly. professional right <laughs> what kind of dancing were you um trying to be what kind of dancer um so ideally I wanted to be a jazz dancer so that I could be in musicals um and as I said I had gotten a scholarship I still loved classical ballet I and and sort of, you know, when you're in musicals, you kind of got to do everything. So I was doing classical, contemporary, song and dance, you know, I mean, competitions, exams, you name it, I was doing it. Um, and I'd been accepted into the state dances. And so I was still doing that as well in my later teenage years. Um, but, you know, I was the kid that was always dancing down the aisles in the supermarket and couldn't sit still. And, you know, your parents are always like, could you just stop? Could you just stop? And <laughs> everything was about dance. So it really kind of threw a spanner in the works and I had to reevaluate and kind of go, well, what else do I love? Because, you know, this isn't really going to be the career I wanted. I could have still had a career in it, but I knew I would never have been as happy. Like, so know, we're going to get to that, gonna be like the, the deeper understanding of that. But what I want to also remind myself when you're talking about it is that I wrote down a note when you're talking that I'm guessing, I don't want to put words in your mouth, a lot of who you were and your identity was tied up in this dream. And now what am I? Yeah, exactly. Everything, everything was tied up in it. My, and, you know, being on this podcast today and talking about it, like my worth was tied up in it because to me, all I was, was a dancer. So if I didn't have that, what did right. I, what, what am I, have? I? And you know what? I think every woman that's listening can relate regardless of whether they're a dancer, whether it was a marriage they thought was going to work out, whether they thought they could be a mom, whether they thought they could have a specific career and whatever the reason is, 
we have these dreams and for whatever reason they, they can't work out, then we have to stop and ask ourselves, well, who am I and what am I about and how am I going to identify myself? So we're going to get there. But before we do, I know that you also mentioned professionally today, you're a nutritionist, a Pilates instructor. What other um, jar tonic. So that's a spy. I didn't want to try system. to say that word. <laughs> I knew what it is because I've done Pilates and, the, and I see them with the, like they do the, right? The, the yeah, exactly. Yes. The towers. Yeah. I didn't want to try to ruin that word. So I just wanted you to do it. So is it because you understand the human body so well, and you love this idea of movement that you ended up in this field? Yeah. So I was obviously super passionate about movement. And I thought if I, growing up, I obviously had issues with eating and restrictive eating, being a dancer, how you look is such a huge, it's such a huge thing. And you're constantly as a dancer, comparing yourself to other dancers and you want to be the best and are you good enough? And, you know, you've got all this coming through. So when I thought if I can't be a dancer, I thought, well, you know, my other half of my life is my nutrition and what I'm eating all the time. So I need to get some help for me, but then I also want to be able to help others because I know how hard it is, you know, and how much doubts you have and, you know, just having that angst over, can I eat this? Should I eat this? You know, constantly going through your mind. So I thought, you know what, this could be a career where I'm, I've got experience with this sort of thing. Maybe I'll be able to help other people. So that's when I decided to, to go to university and study to become a nutritionist. And it was when I was actually there that one of my dance, the girlfriend said, why don't you like, while you're studying, go off and do the Pilates course. You've got movement background, you know, you've done Pilates, you'll be great. And I thought, oh, okay, why not? I was sort of teaching dancing, you know, as my part-time job anyway. Um, so I started to get into Pilates and I started fixing my own body. So I had multiple injuries from dancing, kind of just to, you know, to keep going. That, you know, you, you kind of know as a dancer, you're always going to have some pain, whether or not you're on point and it's just your toes hurting or you're recovering from a hamstring injury that kind of never seems to settle 100%. And I'd been to many different physios and osteos and all that sort of stuff because I had quite chronic back pain um, in, you know, when I was 17 and 18 to the point where I was off dancing at periods of time because my back was so bad. Um, and Pilates is what fixed it. Like it fixed my sacrum pain. It fixed my back pain. And then I thought, you know what, if it's fixing me, I can fix other people. And I was able to teach it well because it was movement. It was fluidity. It was connected. And I had that in me from so many years of dancing. So um, that's kind of how I transitioned into teaching Pilates and then, you know, journeying on and learning gyrotonic because that's even more fluidity and rotational movements and um, connecting to our breath and our body. And so I now operate a Pilates and wellness studio here in Melbourne, Victoria, and kind of put my nutrition and movement modalities all together in one. It's like perfect unity, all the, you know, I was thinking when you're talking, it's so interesting, regardless of what people believe in, you know, I use the word God just because it's easier. But for me, I love this idea that the universe or God or whatever you believe in takes what's broken in us and then uses it to help us help other people. You know, like the areas that I find myself being most in flow are like, for example, for muscle of self, I get to talk and help other women in the area that if you would have asked me 
before, can you help people in this? I would have been like, I'm the worst person on earth to help them. I'm a mess. Like I'm do not come near me. Like I'm a bad example. I'm what you don't want to be. And then the universe like takes what was no longer working and uses it to help other people. I love that. Yeah. And I think going through those experiences and having that, you know, knowledge of it yourself and then coming out on the other side, you're like, well, if I can do it, then I can help other people do it. So I definitely agree with that for sure. I love it. So let's get into some questions. First is why did you say yes to this conversation? Because I think as I've gotten older, you kind of, when you're young, you don't realize, I think as women, how prevalent, you know, maybe eating issues or self-esteem issues are. You kind of, do you know what I mean? You think, oh, I'm a teenager and stuff. Maybe everybody's going through it. But then I also think as you get older, you think, oh, everybody just kind of grows out of it. Um, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was a feminist when I was younger, but now that I'm older, I'm like, you know what? We really need to help other women as much as we can. And especially, you know, in this day and age, there's still gaps in, you know, salaries. There's still gaps in the world, you know, all over the place. But I think by empowering other women, do you know what I mean? You're just helping everybody rise up to a better place. So that's why I wanted to come on the show to show that, yes, there are, you can come out the other side of things and to help other support other women. Cause I know I've been through things too, that I thought I was alone in and we're really not. I know every single guest I find a piece of me and a piece of them. And I realize, and I get all these messages from other women that we're all in the same boat. We just had no idea because no one wants to talk about this. But now that we're talking about it, they don't feel alone. And there's so many great lessons. You know, we need to stop comparing ourselves like you were talking about earlier when you were a dancer, which we'll get to. But it's time to lift each other up and to own that. So we're going to get into, I know that you said you're 38. Have you ever been uncomfortable with your age? I do at times, but again, it's the same sort of thing. So I will go out with my friends and, you know, one will be saying how she has Botox and the other one sort of saying, I'm going to wait a few more years. And what about this 26 year old that's had it and all the rest of it? So generally, no, I don't because I'm like, you know what? I'm fit. I'm active. I believe in holistic nutrition. But then when I hear other people talking about age and sometimes they'll have a dig at you or whatever, then yeah, I do get insecure about it. I think it's that sort of natural thing that as you get older and things start changing, you think, well, you know, I don't look like I used to. Um, so for me, yes, occasionally I, I do get, you know, a bit like, oh, maybe I should do something. And then I'm like, no, that's not part of who I am. So yeah, changes day to day. I think that that's so true. And something that I always like to talk about with Must Love Self is that I have no judgment for what anyone does. You know, if you want to go and zip and shoot yourself with things and remove things and pick them up and whatever you want to do is totally, you know, what makes you feel strong and beautiful. I just want it to be for myself, something that is about for me, not so somebody else can think something of me. I want it to be for me. And when I ask this question about age, and I'm reminded that I, I've known women that lie about their age and it sounds ridiculous. I'm 42. And the idea of like just lying, like I can't imagine if my son just lied, like if someone asked him how old he was and he's like, I'm a different age, but we do it for a number of reasons. But you said it about being insecure. But here's the thing. I should look different because I'm changing. 
And I don't want to trade what I've learned at this age for what I looked like 20 years ago. Yeah, you just said it in one. And also too, you know, we've heard it before, but aging is a privilege because if we're not aging, then we're not here. So I love that. Do you know what I mean? To keep growing over, to keep getting that wisdom. Yeah, it's part of it. And we should look after ourselves. Do you know what I mean? We should be exercising, sizing and eating well and, you know, drinking, hydrating and all that sorts of things we can do lots of things to look after our health. It doesn't always have to be tied back to what we look like. Yes. I love that. Right now, I'm going to ask you to score yourself between one and 10. One is the worst. 10 is the best. I want you to score what your own image of your own body is today. Let's go with a seven to an eight. Awesome. What (laughs) changes it? What makes it go up or down? I think depending on my mood, depending on maybe how much exposure I've had to things like social media, or like I said, catching up with girlfriends and people are talking about various different things, getting into a swimsuit and having to strip down and maybe not feeling, you know, toned and terrific in that moment, or sometimes just the time of the month, you know, you can just around your period and that just feel a bit bloated or a bit, ugh. Yeah. And your mindset can change. What is the lowest number you think you've ever been with your own body image? Um, Zero. (laughs) And when was that? When you were dancing? Yeah. So I had a lot of issues. I always thought that I was too fat. I was too heavy. I didn't have the right physique and the negativity around that and those thoughts were constant. It drove every decision that I made, what I ate, when I didn't eat, what exercise was doing, was I doing enough exercise? What did I look like in this outfit? Constant. It's so exhausting. And you know, I had a three decade long eating disorder and I wasn't a dancer. I was just anorexic and bulimic and I over-exercised to the point of breaking things. But like, I can't imagine because I'm guessing, and just from what I've seen in movies and shows that in the world you were in, you can correct me if I'm wrong, it was accepted to talk about it openly, like for people above you to say if you're not the right size or you don't look right. Yes. So, I mean, I had a dance teacher say to me, you're never going to be a ballerina. You just don't have the shape. And so already you're just like, okay, well, that's great. But, you know, Misty Copeland is a beautiful example of that now that you can be muscular um, and her physique is gorgeous, but you don't have to be waif thin. Learning too, I guess, as they got older, that different ballet companies do seek out different looks. So, you know, people would be like, oh, okay, well, you could have a chance. For example, in Australia, there's a um, German companies quite like the Australian physique. We tend to be a bit more muscular and they like that, but then there are other ballet companies out there that don't like that look. Until you sort of start getting into the industry, you don't even realize that that is a thing until you're in it. And then you're like, oh, okay, well, There's no point even applying for this place because just based on my physique, I'm not going to be right for them. And look, that may have changed nowadays. Do you know what I mean? We have definitely become more progressive and I obviously haven't been in that part of the industry for quite a while. But I know when I was growing up dancing that that really was a big thing. Do you have children? Yes. So I have two girls, five and they're five and seven. Do either of them have any interest in dancing? They do and not for me. So I have been very choose what you want to do, take your own path, play football or netball or whatever it is. Uh, But they both naturally gravitated towards dancing. And look, part of that is because I will still dance around the house. I will still dance in the kitchen. I will still do an arabesque and a 
pirouette and uh, they've grown up seeing that. And so they have gone into dancing, but we are doing it for fun and there is no pressure to do anything else. Fun with it. What if one of your girls said that they wanted to do it professionally? Like I would support them if that's what they really wanted, but I definitely would speak to them about industry and I would probably go off. I have a few friends that were in the industry. I would definitely go off and speak, get them to speak to them and just make sure that they're making a fully informed decision before they went into that. I think also they would know if you're getting to that point, you're starting to do classes four, five, six times a week, you're starting to do competitions, you will see by that point the mindset, the competition that comes into it, even at that earlier stage. I definitely would prepare them for it. And yeah, I would be monitoring very closely their mindset because yeah, it's very easy to fall into the comparison trap and and stuff like that with dance. Like I am humbled by you being a mother of girls. I have all boys and I was afraid to have girls. Obviously I didn't get to choose, but I was afraid of everything that we have to go through at that young age of society. I can't even fathom with social media, with all this constant visuals of what you're supposed to look like. I think that there's a lot of messages that can get really overwhelming. Your girls are young still. It's going to be overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, look, my seven-year-old is already noticing that sort of stuff now. She wants to start playing with makeup and all that sort of stuff. I am very aware of it. I'm very aware of body image and stuff like that too. So I never refer to myself in a negative context. I never refer to them in a negative context. We are always very inclusive that every body, every individual is beautiful the way they are. So we do try to really enforce that message. And if if they've had any sort of bullying or being picked on at school or whatever, you know, we really try to tell them that everyone's got their own unique look, abilities, and we've just got to really focus on what our qualities, you know, and our power is and just focus on that and, and really be inclusive of everybody. So we have tried to really instill that in them from a young age, but I am already a bit like, oh, we're going to have to be aware of this because it's still very prevalent. I'll admit I'm surprised that even some of the things my seven-year-old has said, I'm like, oh, you're already noticing what this person looks like and what this person's wearing. And that perception of people starts very young. I really love what you said. I have not heard a lot. I did not hear it in my home that everybody is beautiful. I love that concept. All the women I'm talking to That was not the message they were getting when they were growing up. So I think that your girls, regardless of what they see, are always going to have you as a home base to come back to to remind them of that, which I think is really awesome. Yeah, well, fingers crossed. We are like every parent. We're kind of trying to do our best and, you know, give them the the best sort of general worldview that we can and be inclusive of everybody. And look, I think things are starting to change in the right direction, but there's obviously a long way to go. What would you rate your worth today, knowing that you are worthy, knowing that you your place in the world, knowing that you deserve to be treated a certain way? I think this is a really difficult question because just from the point of putting a number on your worth, like I am worthy. Like I know today compared to 
you know, I didn't know when I was younger that I really, I'm worthy of, of everything that I'm receiving, that I am giving. And it's taken me a lot of time and a lot of work and a lot of reading and, a, you know, a lot of growing to get to that point. But I really do believe that, yes, I am worthy of everything that is coming to me. And like you're sort of saying with the universe, I am open to the universe in giving, but also in receiving too. Yeah, I guess if I have to give a number, I'll say 10 out of 10. Something I see a lot with women in two areas. So moving aside from body stuff for worth, I see there's a struggle with either feeling like we should be at a certain level in our career, in our parenting, in society, or when someone's struggling in relationships, romantic relationship, where they are being treated a certain way and they don't realize that they're worthy of being treated so much more. So they don't see they have that worth, but it sounds like you've already done a ton of work to get there. So that's awesome. Yeah. A ton of work. And let's, you know, it's not every day. Do you know what I mean? You still wake up and you have those doubts and you're still striving every day to be better at what you can do. Back in my earlier years, I would have said my worth was at a one or a two because I was always doubting myself and I was never good enough and have that imposter syndrome. And still when I'm working today, you'll still have imposter syndrome sort of creep in and try to pull you back down. But I constantly work on it every single day. So what are the areas that you do find some doubt in yourself? Like when you when you have those harder days, like my areas that I have the most doubt will either be in career stuff or in parenting stuff sometimes? Yeah, so definitely career. So I had do have to work on imposter syndrome quite a bit. I reckon in the last couple of years, I've definitely taking, taken a bigger step through that. And that's just from, I guess, doing more things like starting my own podcast and being a guest on podcasts and those sorts of things, just reinforcing that, you know what, I do have a lot of knowledge behind me. Sometimes you kind of doubt that. So yeah, imposter syndrome would be a big thing and still body image, I still have to keep that in check sometimes because those thoughts just kind of creep in, you know, you put your jeans on and you think, are they a little bit tighter today? Do they, are they really tighter? Am I- We're going to get into it more, but from women who've actually had a, an eating disorder, I don't know that that voice ever goes away. I think that it's quieter than it's ever been, but I think that she lives within me. And if, if I want to give her the air and the energy that she can easily take over if she wants to. Exactly. And I would agree with that 100% because I will have periods where it's like I don't hear that voice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But then I will have other periods where it comes back more frequently. And like you said, you've got to really, you know, logically kind of just keep in check that no, 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 that's not right. Do you know what I mean? Focus on other things. Don't listen to that voice. So yeah, I, I would agree with that because it's doesn't even for me, it doesn't feel like it's ever completely gone. It also helps me to realize the areas I always talk about this. So I don't know if you guys played this or if you have a different name for this when you're younger in the States, it's called Red Rover. Have you heard of Red Rover? Oh, Red yeah. Rover? Okay. yeah. So <laughs> the big boys, when you're playing Red Rover, always look for the two skinny, weak girls and then they bash through their arms and always break them and then they win. And I like to know what my Red Rover skinny girls are for the weak areas in my like soul system. And one of my areas is seeing things in in the media that mess my brain up. And so I've gotten really strong about that. I, I have stopped reading. I mean, this is before there was internet. I stopped reading all women's beauty magazines. I stopped 
looking at, I don't follow anyone that like posts constant pictures of like, you know, look at me, I'm amazing looking. Like I like people that are talking worth and soul stuff and, you know, helping other people and, and that kind of inspiration. But the I also admittedly like stupid TV for when I'm like doing other things and I want something <laughs> in the background. And I can handle most stupid TV, but I was watching the Kardashians. Do you have the Kardashians where you are? We do, but I don't watch it. I've seen okay. it occasionally. <laughs> do not watch it. And there was nothing on Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, all these crappy things. And so I was watching it. And when I was watching it, I noticed I started not feeling great about myself because I'm looking at these people who have unrealistic lives and makeup teams and hair teams and body teams and surgeries and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't enjoy how I feel at this moment. It's kind of like if I was eating a bunch of junk food and then I'm like, my belly hurts. I need to stop eating this. And so for me, one of the powers I have is I can turn it off and be like, this is not helping me in any way. For sure. And I know, look, I don't watch, I, I guess I tend to surround myself more with women. Well, I try to on social media, like other, other fitness professionals that are really focusing on strength and form. So form is a really big big thing for me. I don't follow people that's like, hey, look at me in my crop top and underwear today. You know, that's amazing because again, it's just going to fall and I'm going to fall into that comparison trap. So I tend to just really try from following other women, especially, and it's within that fitness field. It's women that are educating other women and it might be on, you know, eating healthy, but having balance and being realistic in their lifestyles, in their workouts, because, you know, there's so much on there. It's like, yeah, that's amazing. You know, if you've got an hour and a half every day to all do all this, you know, a trainer that's standing next to you to really watch your forms. I guess I kind of do the similar thing in that I just don't subscribe to that sort of profile if that I don't have to. I focus on those other things that are, are really important to me. So being holistic, being realistic, and then keeping everything in balance as well. I love the word you said realistic. I think that's really, really important for all of us because one of the things I've noticed from a lot of women I've spoken to, including myself, is I have unrealistic goals, not just of body stuff, of myself as a mother, of myself as a career person, of myself as a spouse, of myself in the world. Like I should be doing all of these things. And it's just not realistic all the time. Yeah, for sure. You know, and one of the big things that I focus on, like, so within my business is shorter workouts. So 15 and 20 minute workouts that we can do, adding in a couple of stretches or, you know, if you don't have time because your kids are on you all day, grab your massage ball out and sit with your kid and do some release with your massage ball. So it's really just finding realistic exercises and, you know, the way that we can eat that's going to be healthy, but also in balance. Do you know what I mean? Life's to be enjoyed. So whether or not there's no point over-exercising and working out so hard that you burn yourself out and you're not eating anything because all you're going to be is miserable. (laughs) I I love what you just said about life's to be enjoyed. Well, I know that we're almost done with the rating, I promise. What would you rate your ability to use your own voice to advocate for yourself? Probably not high enough. So I would probably say a six or a seven. But again, I think I'm getting better with that as the years go on. There's nothing like having that sort of years behind you and experience to help you get further. But I would say when I was younger, again, it would have been a zero or one. Um, I'm already a bit of an introverted person. So I tend to sort of sit and listen on the sidelines. You know, there's been plenty of instances where I've probably taken on board things that people have said that I didn't need to, but you know, 
I'm almost like a bit sometimes have been shocked by it rather than in the moment to respond back and stand up to it. Something that is something that I am continually working on as well. But I think as I get older and again, as you get more sure of yourself and more sure in your values and keep working on it every day, it does improve. Are there areas that are harder than others for you to use your voice to feel confident enough to speak up? And that happens to me too. I don't know what it is. It feels like a car accident. Like someone will say something ridiculous. It doesn't happen often because like how often does someone say something ridiculous to you? And I'm like, why didn't I say anything? Like I just stood there like a deer in headlights. That's one area. But are there other areas in your life where you wish you could get up to like a nine or a 10 with the ability to use your own voice? Yeah. So confrontations is probably a big one. And then I think even just when it comes to general things like bigger topics like race and that, I would love to have more of a voice, but being a white woman, you know, having that sort of privilege, I guess as well, I am not educated enough to have that voice. So I am still really trying to learn more about that, especially, you know, over this last year with even more coming up, especially, I mean, being in Australia, I think we're a little bit, or I feel we're a bit more removed from the US in what's going on with the US. I'm not there. I'm not experiencing that. You're lucky. But that, yeah, but that has made me sort of reevaluate what happens here in Australia and in my everyday life too. So that's definitely one area that I know I need to speak up more about, but I still feel like I need to do more learning and educate myself on that more. Just, I don't care if you're big, small, what color skin you are or anything like that. Yeah. Educating myself on that is a big thing. I'm so glad you mentioned that because regardless of when our episode airs, it's never it's not going to be gone. This is a topic that I remember when I was a teenager in high school learning about the civil rights movement. I am so uncomfortable with the pain that I know other people have gone through that I remember saying, I'm so grateful I wasn't alive then because I don't know that I would have been able to withstand the powerlessness, the pain, the empathy, all of it. And now it's as if it doesn't even make a difference. It's happening all the time. And I live in a very diverse neighborhood and I have three boys and we talk about it constantly that if they were, cause my boys are old, they're almost 15, 13 and 11. And I talk about that. My oldest one is six, two. And I say to him, if you were black, you would be an endangered species and you would not be able to run in our neighborhood with, you would not be able to go to a store without being looked at these. You wouldn't, I mean, you, we just had, I, I talked to my husband about this. I said to him, how many times have you been pulled over by the police for a driving issue and been asked to get out of the car? And he said, zero. And I said, same, zero, right? I'm so glad you brought this up because I too feel ignorant based on what two of us as white privileged women are experiencing from the outside. But I also think it's our responsibility to become not ignorant and to say, I need to do something. Like we have this voice, we have this space. I talk about that with my kids all the time. And I I imagine you do too. I tell them, I don't care what grades you get. I don't care what job you get. I care that you're the person when someone's not being treated well, you stand up and you say something. Like For me, that's more important than anything. Yeah. You know? And that's the same the, like values that we have in our places that as I sort of said before, that we're trying to educate our girls to be as inclusive as we can. We live in an area where there are a lot of immigrants that, you know, have immigrated to Australia at school. There's 
all different types of kids from all different types of cultures. And that is fantastic. Do you know what I mean? It's exposing my girls from a younger age, which I don't sort of think I had with where I grew up culturally, you know, and and with my parents and stuff like that. But it's one of those areas that, yes, I need to constantly do more work on. um, And I know it's a big one that I need to start focusing on too. I think just the fact that we're talking about it and that we know we have work to do. I actually think this is a good place to have a low number to say we need we need to do more because I would rather say I need to do more than say I'm good. I've got this because I know no one does, right? (laughs) I want to go back to when you were younger. I know that you started dancing at age four. And I imagine based on what you shared that you had so much pressure just from the dance world and from yourself. Besides the dance world, what did you see or hear from your mother or from other women in in your family around you of what a woman should be like or shouldn't be like, how you should behave, look, act, your place in the world? I kind of learned from my mom was a nurse. So I'm one of four. Both my parents worked. Mom used to work night shift so that she'd work night shift and then um, come home from night shift, get us all ready for school, take us to school, sleep for the five hours in between school pickup, you know, pick us up, make dinner, then, you know, get it all ready and go back to work again. I really feel from my role model as a mom, I learned that I had to work hard. She was the main carer within the house. So, you know, she did the washing and the vacuuming and the cooking and the that. So I learned too that women kind of look after their home. They do everything. Women work. <laughs> they do everything. And look, in in a sense, it taught me that there wasn't anything I couldn't do. Yes. So I definitely appreciate that because I grew up knowing that I wanted a career, knowing that I could have a family, that I could run a house, and I could do all of that because I've seen my mum do it. So, you know, in that sense, that sort of role model was amazing. I did learn that, well, my perception is that I had to work hard to be worthy, to to, to get it all done, to have it all, that I did have to work super hard. And that's something that I've had to work on as I get older, that if I can't keep up with everything, that that's okay. Or if I need to ask for help, oh, then that's okay too. That's a so, big one for us. Yeah. And uh, my parents immigrated from England in the 70s. So we didn't have family out here. They didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't have grandparents that would look after us. So, you know, my parents kind of raised us, looked after us. So I didn't have a lot of female role models, essentially, except for my mum and my auntie who was here who immigrated out too. And she worked really hard as well. So I'm not sure, again, if it was the period that they were brought up in, you know, born in, you know, the 50s, post-war, that sort of thing as well. But my mum also did a whole lot of coupons and looking for bargains at the supermarket and trying to save well, She's money got four and, kids and yeah, no help, so really. That's it. So a lot of it too was be really smart with your money, save money where you can, don't waste your money on frivolous things. Yeah. And again, that's something that I've had to work on when I get older that I don't always have to look for the reduced items. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Some of it's been fantastic. And then other bits, it's just stuff that you have to work on for yourself. Can you take us into the dance world a little bit? Did your mom or dad notice how restrictive you were being with food and body stuff or did they just think it was part of the dance work they knew they never really 
brought it up, they would say, oh, you, you should be eating more. You can eat a bit more. But they knew when they started saying that, that I'd pretty much just shut down. I was functioning. I was getting great grades. I was doing well in dance. So I think they just thought, well, if she's coping, that this will just be a phase and she'll grow out of it. Plus, I probably didn't show them the full extent. Do you know what I mean? Like I'd, I'd exercise every day, but a lot of the exercise I was doing was in my bedroom where they right. didn't see. Well, you have to so protect was... it. You have to protect the obsession. I made it with my eating disorder. My mom or anyone else that would ask me about like what I was eating or not eating, I made it so unpleasant. They just stopped. I mean, it became understood. You don't ask her, why haven't you eaten anything? Or that's all you're eating? Or I mean, because... I was obsessed and I wasn't going to change at that point. It was working still. Yeah. And I think it was never brought up that maybe I need to see somebody or anything like that. And I mean, part of that was probably they weren't aware to the extent of it. You know, they were already paying for my dancing and all of that sort of stuff. So money, there wasn't heaps of money to spend on that sort of stuff too. We didn't have private health insurance and things. So I think they just thought, well, if she's still, everything still seems normal normal besides the food, then it's all okay. Did other girls in the dance world, was it discussed or was it secretive? Like, did you learn from other girls how to restrict what you ate and how to, you know, just the whole disordered eating or did you, was it quiet? It was quiet. It wasn't something that you spoke about. But you could see when you'd have a snack break or whatever, what people were bringing to eat or not bringing anything to eat or that sort of thing. Or if you'd go out for like a celebratory dinner after like you win a competition or something like that, you'd see things, but you'd never really speak about it. It was just kind of one of those things that everyone was kind of coping in their own fashion. And I had a best friend, but she didn't really have any of those issues because she wasn't dancing as much. She didn't have the goal to sort of go into it as a career. She was kind of just doing it as a bit of fun. You know, she would was concerned and always would speak to me about it. But again, she would leave me alone because that she just knew that that was just part of it. And she wasn't going to be able to change it, I guess, at that point. Right. Can you take us to the place where you decided that you couldn't live like this anymore and you wanted to change and become healthy? I kind of had, it, I was about 20 and I was in university and I kind of had, it was like a mini breakdown. I had obviously really low iron at the time because I was exhausted. I was tired. I had what was diagnosed as IBS, but they oh. thought it might've been bowel <laughs> cancer at the time. My so. God, that's so scary. I was in hospital. Um, was it because you know, your body was hurt all the time? Because your food intake was so like, did you harm your own GI? Like my GI is forever harmed. Yeah. So I ended up becoming fructose intolerant and I've healed a lot of that, you know, learning about nutrition and gut health and stuff. But at that point, I think stress was a major effect. I had a lot of changes You know, at that point. You're still in university, trying to find part-time work. There was stuff going at home, on a home at home with my parents. I had a boyfriend, but things weren't going well at the time. You know, there was all these sort of things kind of coming to a head. And I think on top of the restricted eating and the stress, my body just started shutting down. Essentially enough was enough. It had been going on for too long. And so, yeah, that was kind of the turning point that I kind of went, something needs to change. Like I've got the knowledge. I'm, I'm at university studying nutrition. I've got to do something about this because this is no way to live. Did you find yourself now where you are today from then to now? Have you found something that works for you that is 
sustainable that makes you feel proud and healthy, but also realistic and balanced? Have you found something without getting into details, but have you found a way to live? It's not a, I'm guessing it's not a diet. No, I guess I had to do a lot of work on my mindset and on reassuring myself that I was enough, that I was worthy going through and learning, you know, that if I did make a change, really committing to it for a period of time and seeing what the difference made. So having kids was a big one for me. Once I had kids, do you know what I mean? Your body is, especially straight after having kids, you know, you can't you can't run, you're still, you're breastfeeding, you're recovering from labor. And I sort of learned from having kids that if I, you know, shortened my workouts, I did less intense workouts, things didn't change. My weight didn't drastically just all of a sudden go up. If I relaxed my diet a bit more and I ate healthy, you know, 80% of the time and still had that 20% of the time where I could have indulgences and stuff, again, weight didn't go up. I probably actually haven't weighed myself since before I had my girls. So about eight years, because I know for me that if I start, I will get obsessive over that number. So I stopped weighing myself and that was a big thing for me. And I did just go off how I felt within my clothes and okay, whether or not they fit well and how I was feeling within myself. Did I still have the strength to do things? Did I still have the flexibility and range of movement um, rather than how skinny I looked? Yeah, it's an evolving process process. I love what you said about the scale. I started working with a specialist similar to what you do about two years ago, which is when I made the decision, I don't want to live like this anymore. She made me throw away my scale. And I've got to tell you for 15 years, I would turn around at the doctor's office because of the scale. I would not look and I would say, please don't show me. And I would feel like the judgment from the nurses or doctors. I just was at the doctor recently. I specifically said, please don't show me the number. Can you cross it out? And I told my doctor that he knows I've had a history of three decades of an eating disorder. It was so sad that this person who's got a medical degree doesn't understand an eating disorder, whether you're recovered or not. And I said to him, is there any way you can remove it from my screen? Because whenever I go onto the portal to look at any messages, or ask for refills, ask for vitals, it's like the first, it's like my name and my weight. And I said, is there any way to remove that? And he looked at me and, and basically said, like, you're silly. Like, who cares? You're fine. And I said, I understand what you can't see, but I'm telling you as someone who's doing really, really well, that that number actually makes me feel worse than just not knowing it. I'm not worried about my health. I feel strong and healthy, but he didn't get it. And I've always known I needed to get someone else. But like the fact that a medical professional can't hear that and can't hear me specifically saying, I can't have this in front of my face. And he's just like, you're ridiculous. And that's where I think when you've gone through the experience and then like someone like me who then works as a nutritionist, you can relate back to that more. Like, so I'll have a lot of people, We, ha I have a, a health and movement membership and people come into that and there's, there's recipes that I've developed and they'll be like, oh, there's no calorie content of these recipes. And I said, no, because that's not what I want you to focus on. I don't want you to focus on this healthy meal that's got avocado in it, has got higher calories in it because it's got avocado and you won't eat it. I want you to focus on that it's a balanced meal that's going to nourish your body. So for me, focusing on calorie intake and any intake is not a big deal. It's more about the sort of, I guess, the macronutrient, the protein, the good fats that we need to really support our system and our health. So yeah, it's it's a really tough thing, but that's where I think work, when you can find someone that you can work with that you maybe they've been through a similar experience yes. or whatever, it can really make a huge difference. That's why I think it becomes so important. That's the using our voice piece of we get to advocate for ourselves and find 
people in our life to help us along the way that don't just write us off and don't ignore us because I felt like that for so long. And I need someone who is listening to me. I know myself better than anybody on earth. And I just need you to help me not to tell me no. I want to switch over to two things. You wrote something on your form that I love. Did you bring a quote? Before we get there, I want to read what you wrote. And you said, I feel passionate about teaching our young girls that their bodies are amazing, strong, powerful, and capable of so many things that have nothing to do with looks. And I just love that. I wrote it down because it was so, I just wish this was a message that we heard more often. Yeah. And I think, look, that's why even with my girls and stuff, I'm going to keep them off or make them maybe not keep them off, but definitely have a reduced screen time and social media time and those sorts of things. But then also teach them that when you are so on social media, what are the qualities you are looking for? Are you looking for someone that's kind, that's giving great information, that has integrity, those sorts of things. And if you're going to follow people, that's what we want to be looking for for and aspiring to rather than how good they look in their crop top and you know what I mean those sorts of well think about it you just said it um, I never heard it when they follow people so we're following people which means when you're following someone you would like to be like them or you want to go where they're going why am I following people who hate themselves or my son who's a teenager says the girls in his will post pictures like that are definitely scandalous and then they'll be like I'm ugly or I'm fat. And then they want to get all these messages like, no, queen, you're beautiful. It's just this gross discussion that I do not want to follow. So I really love you just sparked it in me. I need to be really mindful about who I follow. Yeah. And that's as you know, even with me, I generally only go on social media. I'm on there a fair bit For because business. of my business. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure you hear lots of people say that. And you do, you do get into that scroll. But, you know, I will recently have hired a social media manager just to help with that side of the business so that I'm not on my phone. So I can be more present, you know, in my everyday life. And I will say that she's sort of gone on and started following some people that I wouldn't. So I've gone back on and unfollowed those people because. Because for me, you know, having that integrity is really important and, and one of my sort of pillars, I guess. So I am, if I, even if I'm going on there for work, I want to be looking at content. You know, I want to begin lifting women up, but looking for stuff that's going to be educational and, and the values that I'm looking for. And that's not to say that those other values are bad. It's just, I know for me, they could be a trigger as well. So I'm going to just stick to the ones that I know are going to lift me up. I love what you said about the word integrity. That is so important. I want you to tell us what quotation you brought today. The quote I brought is just a short one from Glennon Doyle. And you may have heard it before from Untamed. And that's that we can do hard things. This is something I think over the last you know year and a half now with COVID and all the rest of it, things have been hard, you know mums and, and myself have been homeschooling. I had to close my business down for seven months because we were in and out of lockdowns here. So yeah, so life has been hard and just sometimes coming back to that, you know, even if I'm feeling a bit overwhelmed, I will say we can do hard things. Like I have the power to do that. It's going to be okay. I love that. Are you ready for lightning round? Sure. Okay. If you could go back to yourself when you were in your early 20s and you were just about to break down your body and everything, all that stress, and you could have a few minutes, what would you like to say to that girl now? That everything will turn out the way it needs to turn out, that 
start trusting in the universe a lot earlier than you did and that you are worthy and so much more than what you may be thinking you are right now. What do you think your 80-year-old self would say to you now? (laughs) Relax. Take it a bit easier. Still don't focus on perfectionism. Still just keep trying to work on growing, accepting, and enjoy more of the journey. What is beautiful to you? Uh, Strength from within. We're not looking at looks. We're looking at the inside. And it's kind of, as I said before, valuing your own values, whether or not that's strength, integrity, passion, commitment, honesty, kindness. What do you want others to say about you? This is a tough one. I guess that um, I'm open and kind and approachable and willing to learn. I definitely feel that. And I've only known you for less than an hour. I have two last questions. If you found out that you only have six months left to live, what would you want to do with the rest of your time? Spend my time with my kids and my family and my friends. Last question. You get one piece of advice for everyone that's listening to hear. What would you want to say to them? That we are so much more than what we think we are. And that even when those small doubts creep in, they're only doubts. They're not reality. They are only there for a microsecond. Try as much as you can to have that belief in yourself because you are made for great things. I love that. Will you tell us the name of your podcast? Sure. It's called Mind Movement Health. So we chat all things health, wellness, mental health, Pilates, movement modalities. All. I want to thank you, Kate, for being on here. I'm so grateful for your energy and your time. You definitely have lived up to what you want other people to say about you. I can assure you of that. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been really great to chat about it. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you are willing to rate, review, and share with your people, it makes such a difference for others to find it. And if you wanted to check out my memoir, Seconds and Inches, it's available on Amazon as an audiobook with me narrating, a paperback, and digital. I promise you, you will love it. Have an awesome day. And one more thing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. La, 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 I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please rate, review, and share with your lady friends. If you're ready to do the work it's going to take to love yourself as you are, your body, your worth, and your voice, please reach out to me at carlyisrael.com and we can connect. I offer one-on-one private coaching virtually as well as small intimate groups. It's going to take a ton of work and a lot of commitment on your part 
but I promise to be in your corner. I hope you have an amazing day and I hope you spread the light you feel with others so they can feel it too. La 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 la